hold on. I had a thing here. Welcome to Red Truth and White Lies, a podcast of two Canada's, one for the white settler and one for everyone else. I'm Andrew Brandt, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Nick LaMarche. Today, we got a great episode for you today, you know, because last week we were talking about all the invasions, all the blockades, all this and that. But this week, we are going to, you know, refocus on some of the shit that, uh, you know, Canada's trying to hide under the carpet and, you know, make laws against and give tickets out for, um, so we've got Mr. Andy Hunter with us today. He's been doing some excellent work. He's been on the show before. We needed to have him back again because now he has become the target of uh, some un- unwanted attention by the authorities. So um, thanks for joining us today, Andy. And uh, of course, Nick, how's it going today? Going very, very well this morning. It's uh, it's a chilly morning this morning. We're in my lodge here. It's uh, <laughs> I got to turn the fire on. Get a little warm. It was a great day yesterday. Uh, well, I, I can't really say yesterday, but on Sunday when we uh, uh, when we were when we were driving around in Belleville yesterday, uh, slowing the traffic down, giving uh, the Christmas shoppers a uh, a little little awakening for the season. And something we didn't realize yesterday, or when we planned this out, we did three hours before the Christmas parade started. So we really, really messed up their logistics, which was a good thing. Um, it, was, it was a good job we did. <coughs> but yes, it was, it was well planned, actually. So we screwed them up. And, but yeah, so anyways, that is that. Um, we told you all about that, but we need to talk to Andy because we've been getting some shit from the, from the Hamilton police. Um <laughs> They don't really want to stop hanging around. They don't really like the idea of there being slaves in Canada. And they're really trying to suppress it. Andy, yeah. Loves- yeah. Yeah, I start. I guess, uh, yeah, I've been fined six times now. Um, I first got fined for two, two, of the, two of the signs, right? Like, so basically, this project I've been doing about putting up a plan to honor Sophia Person, who was enslaved here. Um, in uh, Hamilton for about a decade and about 20 years before that uh, with Joseph Brandt. Um, so the two, so one of the, one of the signed projects is dealing with the boundary signs for the town of Dundas that are city of Hamilton. Right. So that's one. And then the other is a private building um, that was built by the hats who uh, Samuel hat was the man that owned Sophia person uh, enslaved Sophia so they're kind of two they have two different um, legal things going on so the first one was I got tickets for each individual sign I put up on a Dundas boundary sign um, and those are for putting up a sign without per- getting permission from the city and then the other one which uh, was I consider pretty aggressive extreme was they find me there, I had put three identical signs onto the hat building, like, you know, so you could see it, you know, as you approach from different sides. Yeah, and I've they, seen the building. I, I know oh, okay, yeah. Doing. You know the building. And so that, yeah. they they fined me for each individual ticket that was <laughs> on the building. So instead of a $200 fine, I got $600 in fines. And the fine was stated that I had uh, put up a sign on a private building without the owner's permission. And um, 
So, and then I appeal them, not because I expect they're going to like, you know, go, oh, sorry, we're not going to find you. They just, you know, reaffirm that, no, this is totally valid. Um, and the person who does the appeal review doesn't, they don't care about what the tickets are for. It's just like, or what the content is. It's just like, you put up a sign, you didn't have permission. That's it. Um, but the thing I'm really more like the city part of it and their boundary signs, I'm not surprised that, but I'm becoming more interested in the private building side of it. Cause that's where a lot of the layers of pushback are coming from. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the city has, you know, um, gotten the owner of the building to write and say, you know, that I'm doing this horrible thing. And can I just uh, ask a question, quick, yeah. Andy? Just yeah. for our viewers, because I'm I'm unsure on this too. So some of the listeners and viewers might be unsure. Uh, yeah. Who currently owns the old hat building? The I don't uh, the guy's name. I don't have it in my brain. He's been very difficult to contact. I actually had contact a couple of years ago with him because I had wanted to see if I could like access the building's been vacant for a long time, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, kind of being neglected and falling apart. Um, so uh, I don't have the name in my head right now, but I can, okay. he lives, he doesn't live here. Um, he lives in Quebec. Um, he's been in this, you know, kind of battle with the city over the building. I think, you know, he had wanted to do something with the site and then it was blocked. Um, just kind of sitting in limbo because uh, people in the community want this building listed it as a heritage site, even though it's like, it's like a really minor insignificant piece of what was a much bigger empire of, you know, my um, milling buildings, like, and it's been largely modified and it's kind of falling down. So the guy who owns it was, you know, wanted to do it, develop it into something he can't because, you know, there's this process, but it, you know, twice in the process, it hasn't been certified. So it just sits there in this limbo. Right. So it's obvious the city doesn't want it to be a heritage building. Right. Yeah. They don't want, you know, and then the owner obviously doesn't. And then he might want to sell the building because but it's hard to sell your building if it's in this limbo. Because so it's like it's stupid. Right. It's like okay. there's this building and the only reason people want it preserved is because it's old and it's the oldest settler building in the town. But it's, well, it's like, like a, keeping a statue of John A. McDonald. Up. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like literally like a shed, right? It's not even, even if you were like, I really want to do something to tell the history of the town and, and mills and all that, like it's useless, right? Like it's not a mill, but it's just like a stone building. Right? And so the reason this is really interesting to me is, uh, and I've started writing, like I write to the mayor of Hamilton they never write, you know, I never hear back from anybody really at the city. And, uh, but what I, what I started to think about with these fines to do with this private building, which I'm really more interested in is this whole notion of how these colonial systems value property over personhood. And so what I've been saying now since the fines is like, basically what's happening is you're just continuing to perpetuate the erasure of a person who was denied personhood and treated as property by using your laws that are that prioritize property over person and human rights. Right. So you're fine. They're not you guys. They are fining me for putting up 
a sign that is, is, you know, is very simple. It's well-made, it's clear. Um, and the fines are cause you know, it's about the building and I damaged the building and I didn't get the owner's permission, an owner who's not even looking after the building. And in the process of doing that, they're continuing to erase the history of this person who was denied freedom. And that's what I'm, that's the space which I'm interested in talking about much more now in the city, right? Which isn't, is to share, it's not about me and my side, it's actually about what are the laws and how do we govern and, and where is the place of citizenship and a common public space, right? So this is the, the like right in your face current happening this is what they do to history. They want to preserve it so badly, mm -hmm. right? But they don't really want to tell you the whole truth about it. Yeah. And if anything, they will suppress that truth as hard as they can because yeah. they, make, they want yeah. it to look a certain way. Yeah. And that's what's happened. I mean, initially when I started the signs, it wasn't because I wanted the city to do a permanent, like to turn my signs into permanent. That's That whole initiative is 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 the responsibility of, of organizations and individuals in the in the black communities here to lead that, and I work in support of that and in dialogue with those communities. Right, um, those are the communities that need to really push and lead on what are the public acknowledgments of black histories in this city, a city where a substantial black community predates the city itself. Right, so the. Um, what I was always interested in is like, what will these signs provoke? What will they surface? And what's been most interesting with the private building is it's drawn in like racist perspectives, biased, elitist perspectives. So, the, you know, in my mind, the only reason that the city bylaw people are so intensely interested in this building is because of the pressure that's coming from a certain group of people in Dundas who are interested in heritage, which is fiction, right? Like you said, you know, they don't tell the whole story. And so they, they tell okay. supremacy. Yeah. <laughs> and so that that's all tied up in, in, in this whole process is there are individuals that have connections with the city that have privilege and power. And if they complain, the city acts right and there's a whole bunch of other folks like right now there's a huge push in hamilton to displace the people homeless folks who are yes. having to live in tents and shelters and um and of course there's this you know the bylaw department spending in the police more time less time dealing with me and my signs uh and more time dealing with like displacing people and where are they supposed oh, to go? Right. Now that it's getting right. colder, it's it's weird because now even in Belleville, they're starting to send four officers out, five officers out yeah. for like two people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they were doing I saw a video last night. Yeah, yeah. warm project. He was just yeah. doing something, he was talking to some security guards. Like that's some bullshit. Yeah. 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 And so to me, it's like I have this very particular focus you know, around this initiative that is, I always say to people like the project I've been doing around Sophia Burson and the book I wrote and everything. I mean, it is, it, you know, what I'm trying to do is follow the lead of what she points to in the present, right? That I always say like, she left an amazing gift to us in the present. 
right? That that interview um, was an incredibly courageous thing for her to do. And it's so deep and complicated. Uh, it's, it shares so much about the experience and acknowledges and honors many people, right? And, and the way I've always tried to approach it is, is like, what is she asking of me, right? And so the work that I try to do is following her lead. And, and a lot of what she's doing is notions of personhood and rights, right? Chattel slavery denied people of the African diaspora rights as human, as people much in the same way that the Canadian different, but in the similar way that the Canadian government treat, treated indigenous people, not as citizens or people, but as wards of the state. And then you get all the manipulation. Um, you know, Sophia was denied freedom right to the end of her life. Right. Like, and that's both because she was held enslaved, but even after the abolition of slavery in the British empire, the whole um, system of, um, you know, how land was accessed, who was given land, who was given preferential treatment, who was denied, right, uh, because of racist policies, even though technically, you know, she was a free citizen, there were so many barriers to having any, like, what did it even mean to be free as a person that suffered from racist policies, right? So that's why, like, for myself and many people, see ourselves as abolitionists, right? Because abolition was never complete. It's still incomplete, right? And um, yeah, anyways, so yeah. So this whole situation with the building and the fines, I mean, I can appeal, I'm never, they're never gonna come back and go like, oh yeah, you're right, what you're doing. Well, you know, they're not. I, like I, I have these fines um, and they just become a catalyst to keep poking the city, um, you know, at some point, you know, you know, something will come of it. They've suggested they're also pursuing other avenues of legal. Now that the, the owner of the building is complained and there's discussion of trespassing, right? Now there's a thing where I can be charged. So not a bylaw for a sign. Now I can actually be charged for trespassing, vandalism. Some, some of the people on the city heritage committee, which is this like all white, group of very privileged folks, you know, they're really pushing the idea that the signs are a form of graffiti and vandalism, right? Which is like, you've seen the signs. They're like professionally made. Just, but, you know, it's, it's no different than them. Graffiti, right? Yeah, it's, it's no different than any of them saying like, you know, for, for our protests or whatever, or it's just a, it's a bullshit charge that they come up with saying that, oh, you know, all the, all the people at Landback got charged with mischief. Yeah, it's just something to bring you into the court to give you a, a a time burden. You know, they take your time away, but they're also trying to impose financial burdens. And you know, those are very, very simple um, colonial tools yeah. of control, um, yeah. and they they stem from their fear based operatives. So, I mean, you know, you're going to fear financial reprisal. You're going to fear uh, freedom. Uh, yeah. They're going to take you know your, your reprisal of your freedom, or even um, mm -hmm. They're going to start targeting you in other ways that they yeah. that the supremacist system does after the yeah. law doesn't do anything. Yeah. It's basically like KKK motives when it comes out. You know, they'll start slashing tires on your car, or leaving notes on your doorstep, or or trying to burn you out of your house. You know, yeah. or they might even light a cross on your front lawn. 
there, that this stuff does happen in Canada, but it's not posted on the news. Um, crosses are still lit on on fire on the lawns of black people in this country and yeah. in the United States. It's just not made public. Yeah. Well, and I think too, with like you were saying, there's you know one of the things that has been really um, not a surprise, but is disturbing, is how you know, like when I reach out to various people in different departments of the city that they will claim people that work within the city will often claim that they work in a department and they have a certain autonomy and they'll claim they have nothing to do with the other parts. Right. So like I had, yeah, that, that's uh, really common. Right. Really common. So, Especially yeah. in the police, you know, when Skylar got arrested at Lamport stadium, yeah. Andrew tried calling Toronto police, uh, 54 division. I was calling Toronto police 54 division. It yeah. took me two days to actually get to the person that I needed to get the information from. Oh, I'm going to transfer this person. It's not my department. It's not my department. It's not my department. You got hung up on twice. And what's that? <laughs> you got hung up on twice. Yeah. yeah. I got hung up on twice. Yeah. Well, this get, if I go back into August, that was when my first time I got a phone call. And it was the guy who was the head of the department for like municipal uh, bylaw and all this. And it's, you know, in July, he let, or in August, he left me these like four phone messages, but he didn't actually say what he wanted. He was just like, this is, you know, his name was uh, Bill Ol um, Olmstead. And he was like, uh, could you please give me a call? Oh, this is so great. I love when you're laughing. And I was like, you know, he left like a couple of messages and then I would call and I would just get the mailboxes full. And then I would try, it took me like a day to find his email. And then when I finally did, I get this email saying he's away for a month. So he never actually said in any of his messages why he was calling. Yeah. And at the time, yeah. like I just got Zag, my dog, there was like other stuff. Like, so I thought it might be the signs, right? But it might also be some shitty neighbors complain my dog barked or somebody doesn't like all the projects in the driveway. Like I had no idea, right? And yeah. then it took a month, you know, uh, for him to sort of reply, but not really. And then he finally called me one day. So it's like in September, I get a phone call. And then so I was out with my young friend and we were and I just chatted. And he was like, he was so confused and baffled about like who I what I was doing, why I was doing it. I think that's also the challenge for us doing this work is it's not just you're dealing with people who are, you know, um, well, the law says this, you can't do that. They are so immersed in this colonial white supremacist system. That is their worlding. They, they can't even process what you're talking about when you talk about how the system works. Yeah. Right. They're just like, it's like you're speaking another language. They don't get it. Right. So you're dealing with both, you know, at times it's it's like aggressive defensiveness, but often you're dealing with total ignorance, right? Like a complete ignorance of the yeah. history. And then you're just like, oh my God, this is like, where do you go? But yeah, when he did finally like fine, he just kept saying, you know, you can't, you have to stop doing this. Um, they'll be legal. And I said, but I'm not asking your permission, right? Yeah. Like you said, you have to ask permission to do this. And I said, but I'm not asking because, and then they explained, as I've written about, that the city had basically, in my mind, abdicated its responsibility to police these things because it has perpetuated this ignorance. So why would I ask your permission to do something that you don't even know anything about, right? 
So exactly. Kind of weird. Bill Olmstead, that's what you say oh, is like that, that communication problem with this guy. Yeah, that's very common. That's why Andrew and I had the same reaction. We yeah, I love that. That, that was so that great. This guy, you know, he's you say he comes on, he's completely disheveled and, and confused. That's right. his normal operating system. That that's just him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's disheveled. He's, he's, he's one of those. He's one of those cronies that everybody wants to vote out, but yeah. they can't vote out because he's been there so goddamn long. He's got so much support. Everybody's just waiting for him to either retire or die or die or retire similar in, in similar respects to Fred Eisenberger. Yeah. Yeah. I was writing to, I have another letter that I, I going to send this week. I usually like once a week, write a letter and then I copy it. To all the and like nobody. What's that? And, um, I said, and Eisenberger is a waste of space. Yeah. And a waste of money. Yeah. Well, he puts on his, you know, it's like the classic thing on the email and the phone when you try to reach his office that, you know, it has this cheery message, right? Like I, yeah. I read every message and, and uh, respond in a timely manner and like crickets, right? Like I posted a picture on Instagram the other day, of like a cricket, like that's basically it was awesome. It was right? awesome. Like, <laughs> and then occasionally in the media or whatever, the media person who's just like, Somebody who worked in the corporate sector, you know, the spokesman for the person for the city, you know, city is a corporation and they say they conveniently will say no comment because, you know, this uh, my situation is under investigation. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what are you investigating? Like, I nothing is hidden. It's all public. Everybody knows who I am. So unless you're. All people are under investigation. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's just like it hasn't, you know, there's I have other avenues of work that I fully intended to continue to do with Sophia in public space that will continue. And, and there's there's also initiatives around other, you know, because when I started the signs, it was part of also a plan to deal with other parts of the city, the Beasley neighborhood which is heavily branded and promoted the Beasley's were really there. Yeah. And the Beasley's owned enslaved people. Beasley was like a total, they, like, they were slave traders and, 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 traders and, and dealers and, uh, of slaves in Canada. Yeah. And land um, like really shady land deal stuff. I mean, yeah. Beasley with Wilson and in connection to Joseph Brandt owned, you know, had acquired vast amounts of the Haldeman tract and then, you know, sold, actually sold it to the German land company when he didn't even own it anymore and had a mortgage on, like total shady. And yeah. that's the guy you want to name a neighborhood and start naming community centers after the yeah. Durans, right? The, Durand, the fancy privileged historic Duran neighborhood. Well yeah. documented. It is historically documented that they owned enslaved people. And this is, so those, those locations are, and then of course the Sir John A. Macdonald. Like, what are they going to do with that? They're not saying, right? And, um, you know, the, the city council voted 11 to 3 to keep the statue. And um, it's just going to keep coming down. Yeah, it'll just keep coming down. So that's another, I'm, you know, I'm doing my research about how to approach that site, right? Yeah. You know that that statue actually killed the first uh, fire chief of Hamilton? It did. It fell. He, he crashed into it or something. Yeah. He was drinking. 
Yeah, he was drunk or something. Or no, he, he was actually the statue used to be one more block over. Yeah, like, it was in the middle of the yeah, road, and then it got moved. But it was yeah. like the fire, the you know, the fire engine wagon, horse wagon, That's what it was. him flying around the corner, and then it it kind of rolled or it collided, and he like like flew out and went headfirst into the statue and died. Yeah, and and not a lot of people know that that statue is actually like it's it's over 135 years old yeah. and like for for when when the people tore that down and like it, it was so-called damaged and vandalized honestly they're, they're looking at it as like a pristine historical piece of something just like that old building yeah, you know you know th th this is old rundown shitty building it's fallen apart it's got a lot of racist history behind it Mm -hmm. The people who are in charge of it, you can't really talk to them or get a hold of it. It's the same thing. You know, we, you want to do something with the building, but, you know, you also don't want it there. But, you know, it's it's the idolization of yeah. of a physical thing. And, yeah. and like, you know, let it go. Literally, let it go. Let your past go as a white person, because mm -hmm. that past should not be in the forefront of anything. It was racist. And it's and you continuing to put that up there as a settler or as a white person or anybody living and working and operating within that system, all you're doing is perpetuating it. And that's exactly what Andy's talking about here. It's exactly what I'm saying. It's exactly what Andrew's been saying all these years yeah. too. You know, uh, it's, it's just that continual perpetuation of it. We don't need these statues honored. We don't need these historical buildings honored. Honestly, they're, they're worthless. They're nothing. So what? Yay. You, you built something good for you. You built a building. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's um yeah we don't they're just things right like this yeah. overvaluing of things people are more important than things yeah and i think that's really the thing i've been focusing a lot on and talking about lately <laughs> you know we've just uh all of these laws and these groups that are you know wanting to protect these you know whether it's buildings or objects or i mean it carries over into these heavily funded museums and art galleries, which I used to work in. Um, but like, there's so much energy put into the preservation of things to the detriment of actually trying to deal with all the erasures and absence within the histories, right? Yeah, they focus it, on things and not people. Uh, it, culture. So many yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like millions and millions of dollars put into preserving these objects and these things and these like bones and like all this and that. Like, yeah. meanwhile, there's living people that need homes, that need food, that need all this, yeah. and they don't even care. Yeah, and it's interesting. I would I don't know how much time we have, but I wanted to. Often, also, what happens, which is that as these museums feel the pressure to address certain histories and to try and appear more woke and progressive, you get white, you know, curators who have been in institutions and very well paid for a long time, asking the communities and individuals who have been marginalized for a long time to, you know, to be involved, but, you know, either in like for free as consultants or like for very minimal amounts. Yeah, and be so involved how we still, want. Yeah, people are still, you can't do the change unless you give up the space and get out of the way. Right. Yeah. This is the problem of the folks I I've dealt with at the city in heritage. It's like they're like they're they're holding their their positions of authority, their paycheck. And yeah. they think they're doing really great progressive work by reaching out to community organizations and individuals who they they want 
who they then want to work for free, who they don't want to like pay for it. They don't want to get out. If, of if that's not, if that's not perpetuating, you know, marginalizing people for their work, basically still enslaving them. Tell us yeah. what it is. It's still about it's, the power and the privilege. The same thing. The yeah, control. it's still the same thing. I'm I'm in a position of power because I'm white. I'm male. I, I I've got this paycheck and I've got this position with this diploma hanging on my wall. And you're still marginalized. So work for me for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like, um, you know, Franz Fanon, the the you know writer in the 1950s, 60s, who was writing about decolonizing. He's you know he said, you know, it's like the colonizer cannot decolonize. It's impossible. Right. Like it requires a complete dismantling of the system. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's the, you know, the way the city operates, the way the institutions, the city funds, like that can't be like my role is I can't do the decolonizing. All I can do is work in support of the communities that are doing that work and be an ally and use the skills that I have had the privilege of gaining. But I it's impossible for me to be somebody that leads decolonizing because no matter how hard I work, I carry the baggage of, of being a colonial settler person, right? So that's yeah, life. Have you, ever, have you ever seen uh, have you seen the show Rutherford Falls yet? Seen which? The show Rutherford Falls. Yeah. Yeah. That is an excellent show. And I think it, you know, people that are listening to this podcast right now definitely need to check that out. It's got yeah. Um, great Indigenous, non-Indigenous cast, and it talks a lot about the preservation of history, uh, yeah. whose history, you know, whose history belongs, where all these different yeah. kinds of things. So yeah. um, if you haven't seen definitely check it out. Um, and then yeah. it'll probably help you understand yeah. Andy's work a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, because there's a lot of work that it's about, talk, talks about whose history and, you know, it should be all of our history. It should be out there, yeah. you know. Just this one, I think it, I think the first few episodes revolved around a statue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's a, a, what a, networks a, is that on, Andrew? I think it's on the Crave Network right now. Yeah, or on, it's on Crave. Crave. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it's on Crave. Um, or what else is that in the states? I can't remember what that's on in the states. Hulu, Disney, no, Disney. Reservation Dogs is on Disney though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's also a killer show. Yeah, um, but yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us yeah, today, Andy. It's that a was a real pleasure. Yeah, and uh, I hope uh, I can be more supportive of you when I can get out of the city. A bit. Um, but it means so much that you guys like check in, and uh, I learn I learn a lot from just the conversations with you both. Yeah, right. likewise. Yeah. I, I love having you on the show. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks for the shirt. Yeah, we <laughs> we're everybody have a good night.